Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. Hi, this is Kim Reinhart with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. And Laura Burheny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. And I think you had a subject? Hot on your mind. Oh, yes, yes. And I better spit it out before I forget it because you know <laughs> how that goes. Um, I was thinking about setting our dogs up to succeed or fail and oh. how that affects our training. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. That's a good, that's a good one to do. So, go start. You start. Well... I was thinking about it just because there are so many times that I hear from people that, oh, somebody came in and he jumped on them. But then I told him to sit and then he sat and then I had the person say hi to him. Mm -hmm. So he was sitting when the person said hi to him, which is good, but they set the dog up to fail by not having him in a sit or not having him on a leash and under control before the person even came in the door. Right. So he had to do the bad thing first. He got right. an opportunity to do the bad thing first. So he gets in trouble, and then he is rewarded for But it's becoming a sequence of behaviors. Right. I understand. It's very similar to testing versus training. Very. It's very similar to a few topics that we've, that right. we've covered. Okay. Why do you think people do that? Long I, I don't. Well, yeah, because I don't, I don't really know. My guess is that they're not thinking about it. Or they, or they think that they have to, they have to correct the dog. They have to tell the dog, "Don't jump up," and then tell the dog what to do. I really don't know. You know what? I think that maybe you just nailed it. I think that sometimes um, people don't really realize that a dog can learn without doing the wrong thing first. It's mm-hmm. not necessary to set the dog up to fail so that he can figure out what he's not supposed to do. Right. You can actually build from the positive and set a dog up to succeed and then make that reinforcing enough that they never look for something else to do. Right. I also think that sometimes people don't understand how to set the dog up to succeed. That's a good point. That's a good point too. And I don't think that they really understand what that means. Maybe that's what we need to do. We need to define what it is to set your dog up to succeed. Right. And that is to control the circumstances well enough and to think it through prior to the behavior Mm -hmm. well enough that you can actually lead the dog into the correct behavior and then reinforce it. Right. I think it kind of goes back to that having a picture in your mind of the behavior you want Mm -hmm. so that you know, let's see, when somebody comes to the door, what do I want the dog to do? Mm -hmm. And help the dog do it because it is your job to help the dog. Yeah. Because otherwise he doesn't know. He's just making it up as he goes along. And it's not as if the dog is actually attempting to do right or wrong. He's just attempting to succeed. Mm -hmm. He's just attempting to get through it. He's just doing what a dog does. Right. So there is no intent for him on for doing the right or the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. When he comes over and he jumps up, that's a good for instance, when he comes over and he jumps up on someone, for him, that feels like the best way to get their attention. And oftentimes, we we teach a dog to do that anyway. Mm Because we fail to respond when they are acting polite. Right. And we only respond when they act... When they're getting on our nerves. Right, exactly. Right. Because, and and you're right, we tend not to see that the dog is doing something right. We just either don't notice or we're relieved that he's not doing what he did before, or 
we are because we are stingy species. We look at the dog. <laughs> Back to the stingy. We are, I'm sorry, but I don't but think we are. And the dog and the dog does what he's supposed to do. And we go, well, why should I praise him? He should have been doing that to begin with. You know what? I don't think that's stinginess. I think that it's a misconception. I think that people think that that they erroneously believe that the dog knows what the right thing is to do. And so you're right. So they look at it and they go, well, he's doing the right thing. That was what he was supposed to do. That's what he was You know, one of the things, one of the, again, misconceptions I think people have about dog training is that dog training is about teaching the dog what he's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then once the dog knows what he's supposed to do, then he'll do it. Right. But dog training is about teaching the dog how to succeed. Right. How to find the most reinforcing behavior. And so that's our job to figure out how to make the right behavior reinforcing. It's not teaching the dog the behavior, therefore the dog knows the behavior. You know, this is a problem. I want to do one about boot camps and and board and trains, and I think one of the reasons that people do that is because they – think that it's about the dog learning the behaviors mm-hmm. and that's the battle and that's yeah, not even the battle not. so maybe the reason that people set dogs up to fail is because they don't realize that just because the dog has had a little bit of training and right. understands and the knows behavior, how to sit in the kitchen in front of the cookie jar doesn't necessarily mean that the dog has accepted that as the way to deal with the situation because that's right. what we're trying to do we're trying to change their perception we're trying to teach them this is what you do in this set of circumstances because it will work for you. Right. Because it will be reinforcing to you. Right. And I think it's less about being stingy because I've watched people do that too, and I don't think there's so much of a stinginess as they really honestly believe, well, that's what he's supposed to do, so he's got it right. So then they kind of look. And, I I mean, I've even had situations where the dog will do the right thing and the person will watch the dog do it, and then they'll look up at me like, see, he got it. And I say to them... And they totally ignore the dog. Don't tell me. Tell him. Right. Don't tell me. Tell him because we're trying to teach him. We're trying to create this as a habit. Mm-hmm. And the only way to create it as a habit is to make it something that he finds enjoyable or reinforcing right. to do. Well, I guess the reason I keep coming back to Stingy is because I've actually had people, you know, when I say, well, praise him, pet him, give him a treat, whatever. Well, but that's what he's supposed to do. They've actually said that to me. But why should I do that? That's what he's supposed to do. Right. But, I, again, I think it's because of a misconception. I think that they – I think that most people, if you talk to them long enough, you'll realize that a lot of people have the idea that training a dog is about teaching him the right thing. Mm-hmm. They don't realize it's about creating a perception in the dog's mind that this is the way – this is the behavior to default to. Right. right. That's what we do. We continuously teach a behavior over and over again. We make it reinforcing enough that soon it becomes a habit. The dog starts to say, okay, I know how to handle this situation. You do this. And he does that because he feels compelled to do that, not because you think it's right, because he's learned it's reinforcing. Right. And I think that's why people set their dogs up for failure, because I think that's exactly it. Once the dog has learned the behavior initially, mm-hmm. they think, well, now he knows it. Uh, you know, yeah, I, and, and I agree, and I think that people don't understand that dogs need to generalize a behavior. That because he knows it in one situation and one other place, that he now suddenly will automatically do it when there's, you know, somebody at the door. Well, and I think generalizing is part of it, but I also think it's because people don't understand that the key is not to teach the dog what the behavior is. The key is to teach the dog that that behavior is something he likes to do. Right. It's to, it's about changing his perception. 
So if you have a dog that you don't want to jump up, you have to teach him. This is what I teach dogs. I have to teach them staying off is more reinforcing. Absolutely. It's something that is is going to pay off for them better than jumping up. Right. Now, let me just admit, for anybody who's out there that knows me, that this is definitely a case of do as I say, not, not as, as I, I do, do right. because I let my dogs jump up. I, right. I, you know what? I don't find it to be that annoying. And especially my smaller dogs. I just don't. You know what? I kind of have a bad back, don't really like to lean over, and right. I'm kind of lazy. Right. So whatever. I'm kind of a tall person. You're a tall person, too. So yeah. I'm sure there are times when, when it's in your best interest. But the thing is that we're trying to teach the dog that he likes doing this. Mm-hmm. And that's why people set them up to fail, I think, because they don't. They think, well, he knows to sit. Okay, let's talk about what he knows. He knows that the majority of times when people come into the house and they're talking to you and you guys are busy with your greeting, that they aren't going to notice him unless he acts out. Right. Look at me. Look at me. In what we consider to be an obnoxious way. Right. Which would include jumping up, dancing all around, maybe making noise, whatever those problem behaviors are. So when, we te- when we're training a dog, we are actually always, my job always is to train the person. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. I'm training the person that you have a different way that you need to start communicating with your dog in order to make the things that you want him to do, things that he realizes, oh, okay, this is how to get the job done. I want attention, and if I'm quiet and I sit, they always notice me. And also sometimes, you know, I mean, that's, that's lumping there is being quiet and sitting, whereas we can start out with just not jumping. Right. As long as the dog's four feet are on the floor, we'll pay attention to that. Right. And then go for quiet right. or sitting right after that. I, I'm, I agree with you. I'm trying to be less about breaking down a protocol right. and more about sort of giving people the idea of what it is that you're trying to, to convey to the dog. Right. Because, you know, people set their dogs up to fail all the time. I also see this a lot. They will set their dog up when they know, but again, this goes back to testing versus training right. for me. They know that the dog is probably not going to get it right, and they let him fail, and then they tell him, no, 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 and then they try to get him to do the right thing. But the lesson is somewhat lost in the no, no, no. Mm-hmm. I think that's what people don't realize, because at that moment, there's such um, not that you can't ever tell your dog no. I do correct my dogs, but the emotion when you get into no 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 there's usually emotion behind that mm-hmm. there is irritation or whatever it is that's behind that and the lesson gets a little bit lost right in the dogs seeing this reaction so what do you do to try to get people to well i try to get them to i mean what brought this up for me was was a client with a dog who is new to the home an adolescent and is is okay with some strangers in the house and not okay with other strangers in the house. And it's like, well, he's okay with sometimes with strangers. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and leave him off the leash until something happens. That's and that that's not good. It causes him to react and negatively. Yes. Okay. And then we'll put him on a leash or put him outside or put him in a crate. Right. Instead of well, 50% of the time he's okay with strangers and 50% of the time he's not. Let's put him on a leash and set him up to succeed and teach him what to do instead of keeping him off the leash and having him fail. And that's what brought it up for me. That's that's I've actually had a number of those lately. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, that's that's what was in my mind when I wanted to do the testing versus training because I think that what it comes down to is they want to see where the dog's at. Yeah. They want to see if the dog is up to well, the Well, he's cats. been good with the last three people that have come over, and I thought it was okay. But you have to have a very big history of doing the right yeah. thing. Yeah, he has to have a huge reward history behind him. Because he's usually had a huge history of doing the wrong thing. Right. And then when that happens, people put their dog outside instead of using it as a training opportunity. I mean, if you're going to set the dog up for fail, at least don't then compound the problem by putting the dog outside or putting the dog away. By then putting the dog away. Because if you were going to put, a, put the dog away, you could have done that prior to this situation. And, and then, so then he doesn't fail. Exactly. I mean, it still is sending a bad message to the dog. But if you're going to do some, absolutely, yeah, sometimes I mean, management, it is. Management yeah. is one of those things that sometimes it's, is necessary. If right. you don't have the time, if you're not going to be dealing with it. Or it's going to be too hectic. If yeah, Right. If there's too much of an emotional load, whatever mm-hmm. it is that's happening, if there's something that is going to create such a distraction that you're not going to be able to deal with it, mm-hmm. then the smart thing to do is then kick into management and put the dog away. So you've, again, set the dog up not necessarily to succeed, but not to fail. Right. Right. It's you, kind of a neutral, depending on... You know, depending on the dog in the situation. Right. But it, but it, at least it's neutral. The dog hasn't had an opportunity to then bite somebody. Right, and revert to that old behavior. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a toughie. I think that – I do think that people think that the dog has to sometimes experience the negative to understand what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they realize that unless your dog has a really, really – I actually do use that as a training technique. I will allow a dog to fail, but it's not until they've had such a large reinforcement until history, they know what's expected. History such a large reinforcement that that truly it feels so good to succeed. It feels so good to do the right thing that in that moment when they cross the line, all they need is a little eight to right. go. Oh, why am I doing that? What a dumb thing to do! I I love doing this other thing. Why would I be bothered with that? Right. But that's not the same as setting the dog up to fail. No. Because, honestly, there has been such a large reinforcement history. Right. So I'm not saying that you can't say no to the dog. I'm just saying that you're, I agree with you. Why set the dog up to learn the wrong things? And I also think that people don't realize that if you set the dog up to fail and then you fix it, let's say they don't put the dog outside. Let's say they then fix it. Still, it's almost like a neutral lesson. Mm-hmm. Because you're trying – because you're back you're, – you're, it's like two steps forward and one step back. It's actually like two step backwards and one, one step, step back. forward. Yeah, thank you. That's, because, I was thinking that way first. Right, because first. you're allowing them to go back into a, a behavior that's really been comfortable for them in the past mm-hmm. and then trying to pull them forward into a new behavior. And honestly, that's going to be a lot less re- – no matter how reinforcing you make it, right. it's still the old behavior is sort of inherently reinforcing. Right. What's another situation? This was your topic, so I'm expecting it was, you to run with It was, it was, and I came up with that specific one just because I had, like I said, three or four phone calls in the last week right. ab- about that. One was a case I didn't take because this dog had been doing this for a long time. I mean, the people had been allowing, I mean, th- three and a half years old this dog was, and it was a Mastiff-type dog. Mm-hmm. Scary. Aggressive behavior. Very aggressive behavior with strangers coming into the home, and I said, no, thank you. You didn't I'm not, choose to no. be a lion tamer on that day? No, no. Yes, that's no. my favorite. And and my cattle prod is <laughs> not charged. That's my favorite is when people, you know, expect you to fall into from dog trainer to lion tamer. Yes. <laughs> it's very it's very difficult. I don't understand why people allow dogs to fail 
over and over and mm -hmm. over and over again. I think sometimes, again, it's a misconception. People think, well, they'll grow out of it. Say they have right. a young dog that starts a behavior pattern, and they think, oh, well, this is just because he's young, and he's going to grow out of it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, what he does is grow into it. Mm -hmm. He gets better at it. He gets more proficient. And not only that, but, you know, then it becomes a habit. And as much as you try to break a habit, it still is there. The habit is still underlying. So you can go for a long time, you know, reinforcing the right behavior, but that old behavior, the default behavior is still there. Somewhere. And it's somewhere. It just depends yes. on, on how much stress mm -hmm. or, or what the circumstances need to be to bring it out. Right. And under times of stress, we default back to our original behavior. And this just isn't our dogs. This is everyone. Oh, yeah. This is me and you and oh, yeah. everyone. Um, this is how we handle stress. Mm -hmm. So we go to what makes us comfortable. And what makes us comfortable is what's familiar. Mm -hmm. And the original behavior is something that we came up with on our own, not something we had to train ourselves to do. And that we worked at for a long time on our own. So we had a long time to feel comfortable about it. I think that's one of the reasons that people set dogs up for failures. I think that they think that if they just, you know, they'll, they'll grow out of it or they'll come to realize it's a bad idea. But I, I honestly believe in the end what comes, you know, what it comes down to is this misconception that dogs do the wrong thing because they haven't learned the right thing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, they haven't learned that the right thing can be reinforcing. Mm -hmm. But no, it's not just because they haven't learned the right thing as a behavior. Right. Because they may learn that behavior and say, well, that's that behavior is not nearly as reinforcing as my old behavior. Mm -hmm. So when you're training a dog, you have to then say, okay, now how can we make this new behavior more reinforcing and give them a very, very, very large body of practice mm -hmm. so that they find it eventually better they start for them. To, yes, and eventually they start to default to that behavior. Mm -hmm. Although, again, times it takes a long yeah, yeah, and it takes a long time. I mean, if a dog has been doing something wrong that is his default behavior, something he came up with on his own, if he's been doing it for six months, you need probably a year of the good behavior of what you're trying to retrain him to do to overcome his default behavior. I think the number one way that people set dogs up to fail is in the on-leash to off-leash yeah. training curve, yes. learning curve. Yeah, because they think that off-leash means take the leash off. And they don't realize that, that, that there's an in-between stage. Yes, that yeah. that needs to be built on, that that needs to be discovered by the dog. Because up until now, if you have a dog that you, let's say the dog is... Um, six to eight months old mm -hmm. and you've started working with the dog on the leash and the dog gets good. Yeah. The dog gets some really good behaviors on the leash. And then you say, okay, well now we want to start off-leash work. So you cut him loose and he reverts to all the things he's been doing off-leash all along. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't, it's a different it thing apply. for him. Yeah. It's a different thing. Yeah. It's because not that he doesn't know the behaviors. Right. It's that they don't apply here. Right. Because he's not on leash. He's not under control. And when he is off-leash around you, he gets to do what he wants. A lot of times his behavior has been either ignored mm -hmm. or in some ways exacerbated, like when people get real panicky. Right. And kind of like, oh, my God, he's off-leash. What do I do? Unwind themselves. Yeah. Yes. Or yeah. they, again, set him up, testing versus training, they set him up to fail. Right. And then they try to fix it. Yeah. And, w I mean, one way that I've seen that happen is that people will have their dog on leash. The dog is on leash because he's training and he's and he's an adolescent and he's he's or he's, you know, a juvenile. He's 
running around the house and running amok and causing problems. So they have him on the leash in the house. to keep him under control. So he's in the house. So what do they do? They feel bad for the dog because the dog doesn't get any exercise. So as soon as they take the dog off the leash, he deserves to run around and be a nutcase. Yes. Right? So the dog is running around being a nutcase. Every time they let him off the leash, well, you know what? He's been he's been attached to me for three hours now, and it's time for him to run around and, and you know, get be some of dog. that. And be a dog. Exactly. And get some of that out. And so they take him off the leash, and they go, run, 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 and they get the dog all crazy. But then when they go from on-leash training to off-leash training... They're surprised when the dog goes, oh, look, the leash is off of me. I'm going to be a nutcase now. Right. You see that a lot in group training classes. You know, people show up and they work really hard during the class. Mm-hmm. And then when the class is over, the training's over. Mm-hmm. And the dog is allowed to go back to wild behavior. Yeah. And then when they, and then they, they can't understand. They're scratching their head. Well, how come he's only good at class? Right. Or he's only good in a set set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Well, because very early on you set that expectation. You mm-hmm. actually said, here's the way we work this. Right. You only have to pay attention to me for an hour every Wednesday night. Right. When you're The class, rest of the week. When you have the leash on, when certain sets of circumstances are all together. Right. And then the rest of the week, yes. Well, it's the same thing with some competition obedience dogs. Some competition obedience dog, you you know, you slap a number on your arm and you put them on a regular on a special leash with a special collar, and you walk into a ring that has a person there with a clipboard. And they're amazing. And oh, and they're spectacular. But then they're dragging their owner as soon as they step out of that ring and the owner takes the armband off. They are dragging their owner around and being obnoxious and aggressive towards other dogs and. You go to their home, and they're stealing food off the counter and jumping on the beds. Or they're living in a crate. Yeah. You know what? Actually, that shocked me when I got into competition obedience years ago. The first several months that I was there, it surprised me that I would watch a dog in the ring, and it would have a beautiful performance. Mm -hmm. And a performance is exactly what it is. It Mm -hmm. wasn't actually an obedient dog. No. Because as soon as the dog came out of the ring, it turned into, like, my my worst nightmare. <laughs> and a lot of people use that as the excuse. Well, you know what? He works so hard. He has to be so under control in the ring that I let him be a dog, as you said, when he's outside of the ring. And to be a dog, I think all my dogs are dogs. But mm-hmm. to be a dog does not mean you have to be obnoxious or, or just completely unplugged right. from any of the, any of the human companions that you yeah. hang out with. Because, Yes, we are asking our dogs to come in and basically adopt our sensibilities, Mm -hmm. which they never really do. That's why I say all they do is learn that this new behavior is reinforcing Mm -hmm. enough that they want to do it. But what we think as humans is that they're going to adopt our sensibilities, and they never really do that. But the flip side of that is somebody who says, well, I'm going to make them work hard at this performance, but then I'm going to assume that they cannot mix well with people right? with any kind of awareness mm-hmm. that you act differently towards people than you do when you're out racing around with another dog. Right. This is an interesting topic, and unfortunately, uh, I wish people realized that setting your dog up to fail, testing versus training, right. these are the things that actually shoot good behavior in the foot. Yes, and consistency. Yeah. These three topics that we've covered are very important as far as general concept of how to get your dog to behave. It's not about teaching sit or down. Because you can have the best techniques in the world, Mm -hmm. but if you don't grasp these concepts, you will never really get a trained dog. Right. You'll have a dog that performs. Mm -hmm. Because what I got very discouraged in in 
competition obedience is a lot of times I said, well, now we put it at the level of a trick. Mm-hmm. So that performance is basically at the level of a trick, but it doesn't have anything really to do with having manners and living well with people. It took me a long time. It took me years, actually, to, to be able to put that all, my head around that and okay. really go, okay, where is it that we've gone off the beam with this? And, you know, you can read 25 books, and you can watch people on TV train all day long. Right. But if you don't grasp, or and you can have a trainer out mm-hmm. for five years. Right. Every week. Right. But if you don't grasp these concepts, unfortunately. You're never going to get it. No. Nothing gonna is going to change. Way. Right. And when you have one dog that does it, you can blame it on the dog. Possibly. Right. If you have another dog, and then another dog, and you're another dog. And, I mean, we've seen that. We've seen a dog with, with a behavior problem. It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's genetic or whatever. But then the person calls us back years later and their second dog is now starting to do the exact same thing, behave the exact same way. It's like, hmm, what's the common denominator here? It would be you. Right. And it's not done intentionally. It's not because people don't care about the outcome. It's because they don't really understand this very they basic don't know. concepts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of that is, I think, some of those ideas have been perpetuated by television and the stuff that we see in the media and that kind of thing and there's this idea that dogs just need to know what they need to do. So some dogs are perfect and wonderful because they come in and they just understand what you want. And other dogs are really wild things because they just don't care about working for their people. None of that is true. There are dogs that are more sensitive than, than others that may find a very small amount of reinforcement extremely reinforcing to them. Mm-hmm. So they may find that when you look at them and smile or say good dog. That they'll wag their tail. That and that makes them thrilled. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's because that's reinforcing to them. Does it right. mean that they get it better than the other dog? No. It means that that's what they find reinforcing and it's been easy for you to consistently present them with that reinforcement. Whereas another dog might need a toy and cookies yeah. and all these other and things. Then, and then we think they're broken. Because he him. because he doesn't work for praise, he doesn't right. like praise. But there are ways that you can make praise more valuable. Absolutely, and that's that's in pairing what mm-hmm. we talked about. But I think also that if people understood that there's nothing wrong with that dog, he simply needs to find this reinforcing. And there's something wrong with the way you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. Stop setting him up to fail. Start realizing that the responsibility is yours to teach them what they need to know. With for me, when dogs come into my house, they get a lot of they get a lot of information from mm-hmm. me early, early, early on. And I figure out very early on what do they find reinforcing. And I, and, right. I learned to, and so it looks effortless to other people. Other people say, oh, well, you just always get good dogs. No, I make good dogs. Right. I, I bring dogs in and I bring out the best in, in them. Right. And that's something that I do easily because mm-hmm. I'm a dog trainer and because I've, I've studied this. You know, I've worked on this. This is something that has been really compelling to me for a long time. But it's doable with all of them. Right. It's, yeah. You just find out what they like and use it to your advantage. Right. All right. Yep. I think we've covered this topic. Beat it into the ground. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening. I'm Kim Reinhardt with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. And Laura Burheny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. Thank you for joining us. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers, 
Or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818-890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. Thank you for listening.